Anderson. Hits it in the air to right. Back at the wall, and the White Sox win it. Sox win. We've got to be the dumbest team in America in terms of playing the game. And I'm highly critical because of the way we give games away. We give them away, period. I apologize for that. That's the best we can do. Uh, that's a sad problem. Welcome back. This is the Feeling Soxy, Clint Klaus Show, bringing you the best sports talk from the analysis and the eyes of me, Clint Klaus. Welcoming you back to another fantastic episode. I want to thank you for press subscribe. Subscribe to the Feeling Soxy podcast. You'll be getting plenty more of Feeling Soxy podcasts, and then you'll be able to listen to the podcast on the go. This is also a Spotify exclusive, so we are not on Apple Podcasts for some reason. Apple Podcasts are just dumb. I don't really know what the deal is with them, but we are a Spotify exclusive, so you can find every episode of the Feeling Soxy podcast from the past season on Spotify if you want to listen to a man die week week in and week out. Have a listen to that. It'll give you a nice, fresh recap of what happened in the past year with the 2022 Chicago White Sox. It got so bad with them that we basically had to basically open up the vowels, open up the open up the gates to talk about other sports. I'm sure we'll probably talk about basketball at some point in time, whenever. That becomes whenever the NBA starts or when college basketball starts, we'll probably get a couple college basketball guests on. But we are currently in the midst of October. The fall classic football season is in full effect and nothing has changed with the Chicago Bears. So we're going to recap the Thursday night debacle, one of the most hideous Ugliest games of the entire season. Commanders 12, Bears 7. I mean, what what can you really say about this game that wasn't already been said? I mean, everybody in the nation knew that this game, the buildup to this game was that it was like, you know, last Thursday night's game was between the Broncos and the Colts, and that ended in a 12-9 affair. It was one of the worst games of the NFL season, and Following it back up, you had the, the modern media being like, oh, well, you know who's next. It's going to be the Bears and the Commanders. But, well, apparently they were right. You know, I was hoping, I said my prediction was 28 to 17. You know, I was a fan of the over. So if you listen to me, which I think only one person did, and I don't think they bet, they took, you know, you didn't t- if you didn't take the over, you didn't bet on it, and you probably made the smart bet. But this game was hideous. I mean, starting with the Bears' orange helmets, Never wear those helmets again. You should blast those helmets off into the sun because they were fine. I I called it the Chicago Bears City Connect jerseys by basically representing the construction that the city of Chicago is always under every time I go there, and they'll probably have to redo the roads whenever NASCAR comes into town. They're having a big NASCAR race driving through Lakeshore Drive, so had to basically represent the city by – looking like construction workers is what the bears looked like. And it showed, I mean, the offense in this game, I don't think the offense was bad. I think overall, this was an ugly game on when they got into the red zone. I think the bears for the most part did pretty all right offensively. All right. So looking by the box score, I mean, the bears in terms of total yards, basically 
outgate and did everything right against the commanders. They had 16 more plays in the commanders at a hundred and 80 more yards than the commanders did. They, the commanders had one more total drive. They averaged 1.7 more yards than the commanders did. Like statistically, when you look at it on paper, the bears should have dominated this game. And realistically, they should have dominated this game. They should have at least had points. They had, as I mentioned, they had three trips in the red zone, three trips in the red zone. All three of those led to no points being scored. If they would have scored twice, then they win the game. You know, if you, if they would have just took the conservative approach of being like, Hey, let's just kick a field goal here. Let's get some points. They probably would have won the game. If they would have took that sort of approach as you know, trying to take the points when they got it, but the bears are trying to be aggressive. I think they were building off of what happened last week where they looked and they were saying, Hey, you know, people liked it when we were aggressive a week ago. So why don't we try and be aggressive again? And I think they try to be too aggressive in terms of the second drive of the game. It ended up being, or not the second drive. It was the third, the third drive of the game. The second one was when Justin Fields and the Bears drove down the field. It looked like they had no problem moving the ball against the commanders for the most part, and then they would get into the red zone, and they would just forget how to score. Like, they would throw an idiotic, like, Justin Fields had probably one of the worst interceptions of the season. He threw the ball, and it hit directly at Jonathan Allen's helmet. It hit him right in the dome. It dunked, it doinked off in the air, and next thing you know, it's an interception. And that killed the first drive that could have led into points the second one the bears got shut out justin fields missed a wide open ryan griffin in the end zone wide open like he couldn't have been more wide open it was a perfect play call i mean justin fields just could not execute i mean that's second drive in a row that they couldn't execute and then they don't they don't run the ball at any point during being in the red zone and then in this time they run khalil herbert right through the tackles he got stuffed and the next thing you know that drives over like the, the bears should have easily won this game 21 to 12. And they lost this game 12 to seven because they couldn't get out of their own way in terms of mistakes. And ultimately what cost them the game was Valus Jones, who Valus Jones probably should never return another punt again for any NFL team. Like, especially since you drafted the guy to be a return specialist. And for the most part, he's played in three games and he's muffed two punts in those games. Like, what do you mean? You're a return specialist. You were literally drafted to return punts. And if you cannot catch punts, then what value do you bring to this team? You don't bring any value to this team because you keep costing the team time and time again. And I don't know how much more the Bears are going to take watching Bayless Jones muffin punts left and right every other week. It's getting maddening. To the point of, quite frankly, it's just embarrassing. Like, we knew this season was not going to be good. We knew this was not going to be a rebuilding year. But, my God, you should have been able to beat the Washington Commanders. They are one of the worst teams in the NFL. And you let them go into your stadium and you let them beat them because you couldn't get out of your own mistakes. You failed to execute, whether it was in the red zone or Valus Jones muffling a punt, the Bears failed in this one and quite frankly they lost a game that they shouldn't have and that's how I feel like if you even score twice if you take two field goals instead of coming away with no point the Bears win the game and they ended up losing it because they could not get out of their own way so 
some other things about this game. So obviously Fields is fine. I think the defense played considerably well. Carson Wentz had only 99 yards passing. They were making things very difficult for the Washington offense. Like Washington really could not really get anything going. Like when you look at two of their drives, um, the second one they took advantage of. They took advantage of it. You know, they went down the field towards the end of the second half and scored a meaningless field goal. But, I mean, again, the, the Bears gave this game away. They gave this game away. Like, they muffed the punt. And, like, I mean, now now you have the commanders feeling pretty good about themselves. I mean, they were aided by two turnovers. And in their first five games, the commanders had only taken the ball away once. They took the ball away twice. Ugh. It's just so maddening because, you know, the, the the commanders gave the Bears every opportunity to win the game, and they just didn't do it. I mean, Justin Fields, he looked all right. I mean, the only time he really looked bad was when he threw that one interception. I mean, the drive at the end of the game was not really – well, it was fine. I mean, he was able to run the ball down the field. I mean, he was able to make plays. Like, Fields makes plays. He makes plays with his legs. That make you feel like that make you be like, wow, you know, he's a young quarterback. We have to be patient with him. And then you you watch him in this game, and he'll have one of the worst interceptions that you will ever see a quarterback have. And you know, you just have to wonder. Like, I I still feel like that he's somewhat making progress. I mean, we we obviously know that the Bears haven't really put Fields in the best position to succeed. I mean, let alone, I mean, you look at the offensive line of what he's being given this year. I mean, it's, I mean, a fifth round pick and you have another late round pick basically blocking him on the tackles. Tevin Jenkins is probably the only one who's probably even worth a damn on this offensive line. Sam Musterford is just a bomb. I mean, you look at the commanders, the way that they were scheming up their defensive line, they were going right at Sam Musterford. They were going right in the middle. They were going right into the interior. They were going at the weakness of the Chicago bears defense. And ultimately I think that's what, I don't want to say that's what made the game because ultimately what made this game what it was was the Bears' inability to convert on convert on red zone opportunities and getting in their own way. Like it's it's basically the same as every other game that they've lost this year outside of maybe the Green Bay game. You know, the Green Bay game, they basically got dominated from the start. The Vikings game basically just teased every Chicago Bears fan into thinking that, hey, maybe the Bears are making progress. Hey, maybe the Bears are better than what we're giving them credit for. And then they go out there and throw out a stinker of a game on Thursday night football. And it was like what I said, the key to the bears winning was scoring touchdowns and really keeping the ball in front of them, not letting the commanders throw it over their head for the most part on the defensive side of the ball. They did their job. It was the offense that failed to execute, which basically is like the story of every Chicago bears season since the beginning of time which is the defense plays good, the offense can't make enough plays, and they end up losing the game. I mean, it was just a typical Chicago Bears loss. I mean, when you think about it, it was not good. It was, a not, it was not a good game. Their next game is on Monday night against New England Patriots. So we'll have about a couple days before we get into a preview about that. But, I mean, horrible performance by the Bears on the offensive side of the ball. And quite frankly, I mean, it was about just as bad as Notre Dame's effort on offense against a one-win Stanford team. And we'll get into them right in a second. But my final thoughts on the Bears-Commanders game is that, it, you know, we 
we have to know that this season was not going to be it was a rebuilding year you basically looked at the roster they they put no real receivers around Justin Fields they said well they have Darnell Mooney they have a bunch of special teams guys who were on good teams that had that would have their 15 minutes of fame and then would basically just fade into oblivion because they were not they were not number one wide receivers like there's a reason why the Packers and the Chiefs were so comfortable letting go of Byron Pringle and Equinonymous St. Brown. It's because their quarterbacks really just could not, they could be able to afford losing those guys. Well, I mean, the Packers right now probably could need Equinonymous St. Brown, but I mean, that's another topic of conversation for another day. But the Bears, they, they lost this game. Well, and I'm not really feeling too good about them going into New England on Monday night. It's usually a place where, you know, Bill Belichick's really good at really confusing young quarterbacks, really making things very, very difficult for them. And I think Bill Belichick will be doing the same exact thing from what we expect out of Justin Fields on Monday night. But, I mean, still still a lot of progress to be made with the Chicago Bears. I mean, just a minute when we thought that they were making progress, they take two steps back and can't get out of their own way. It's just it's not good. It was not a good game. It was an awful performance. But, I mean, that's the NFL. I mean, that's also what we were kind of expecting. But, I mean, you have you, you should have been able to beat the Commanders. You should have been able to beat the Commanders. They are one of the worst teams in the NFL with one of the worst quarterbacks and one of the worst offenses and one of the worst game plans. It was, it was horrible. A bad, bad game. Overall, it was a bad game. It was a hideous Thursday night football game, which, I mean, by the way, the Thursday night football games have just been absolutely brutal so far this year outside of, I think it was the Chiefs and the and the Chargers. That was really the only game in which that one was just not extremely brutal and hard to watch. But all these other ones have just been like they've just been these hideous, ugly games. And I mean, I mean, think about it. The Saints are playing the Cardinals next week and people are jumping for joy because they're like, oh, my God, we don't have to watch the Bears again. Well, America, that's how we feel. We don't want to watch the Bears either. And then when they show that type of performance, it's like, well, why? You know, it's it's like nothing changes with the Bears. I mean. They will always play the same no matter no matter what era, no matter who the quarterback is. It just seems like nothing will change. Very similar to the White Sox, who we'll get into later. But I'm going to transition into Notre Dame football. Notre Dame, oh my God, Notre Dame lost to the walkthrough team of the Pac-12. They lost 16-14 to yesterday against the Stanford Cardinal at home in front of their own home crowd. It embarrassing they lost 16 to 14 now Stanford basically did everything right in terms of offensively starting off the game starting off the game Stanford went right down the field and they scored went right down the field and scored Notre Dame for the most part kind of really really kind of struggled to get any sort of offensive rhythm going and it it's the same situation as with the Chicago Bears you know the Bears really could not get out of their own way, could not get out of their own way with turnovers. It was the same with Notre Dame. Notre Dame could not get out of their way with their own mistakes. They had a drive down the field in the first quarter. They had a touchdown to Michael Mayer. They got called back because of an ineligible man down downfield. The other tight end was in the inside, and he had to not go out for a passing route, and it was called for an ineligible man downfield. A pretty stupid call, if you ask me. It cost Notre Dame a touchdown because – Later in that drive, they had a fourth and two, and they tried to run a reverse play to Jaden Thomas that got shut down at the line of scrimmage, and they couldn't do anything else, like right, and they couldn't do anything right after that. I mean, for the rest of the first half, 
it was just a complete struggle for the Notre Dame offense to get anything going against Stanford. Like Stanford's defense yesterday felt like the old Stanford defense where they were going to make things very difficult. They weren't going to blow you out with big plays, which was a big flip because the last couple of years, Stanford had been horrible at football. In fact, Stanford won their first FBS game this year. They had not won an FBS game since October 4th of last year. They were on an 11-game losing streak against FBS opponents, and you let them go into your stadium and embarrass you like that? That is pathetic. It is absolutely pathetic. When you look at the stats, Notre Dame only had a, was 3-for-12 on third down. They only had 151 passing yards. Drew Pine was awful. He was absolutely awful in this game. He lost the fumble. They and also he had and also Audric Estiman had a horrible fumble at the end of the game when Notre Dame was driving. They had already given up the lead. They were going down the field and it seemed like it seemed like Notre Dame was finally going to take the lead and then Audric Estiman who has been the bane of my existence, he fumbles the ball. Oh my god, it's it's so maddening because Notre Dame basically did the same thing that the White Sox did to us this whole year, right when we think, oh, hey, maybe this is the turning point. And then they lose to a team that they shouldn't have. Notre Dame had no business losing this game to Stanford. No business losing this game to Stanford. They only had 97 yards rushing. They had 208. They had 300. They had 84 more total yards than Notre Dame. And Notre Dame should have won. But Notre Dame basically gave this game away. They had Drew Pine lost the fumble at the end of the sec, at the end of the first half that led to three points being scored. And then you had Audrey, as I mentioned, Essimens fumble. It was not good. I mean, it was a hor- horrible performance by Notre Dame. Horrible. And it ended and it ended like this. Drew Pine broke up a pass or Drew Pine threw a pass that got broke up by Jonathan McGill. I don't know why he was throwing it to him because even if he catches the ball, he's not going to get the first down and they would have lost the game anyway. And it's it's embarrassing. This is about as embarrassing of a loss for Notre Dame. Like, it's the second embarrassing loss this season for them. And that's on top of losing to Marshall. And Marshall is a Sunbelt team. This was just as bad as losing to Marshall because Stanford has been horrible at football. They've been 12 since 2018. Stanford has been 12 and 23 at football this year. And we're also, as I mentioned, they were on an 11 game losing streak against FBS opponents. They were struggling to play FBS opponents. And yet here's Notre Dame just giving the game away to Stanford. Like when you look at Marcus Freeman, these were, these were his quotes after a game. It wasn't a lack of effort. It wasn't a lack of preparation, but it's not correlating over to results you want. So you have to look at what you're doing and how you're doing it and figure out a way, a better way to do it. Well, I think a better way to do it is taking care of the football. And using other offensive weapons that aren't Michael Mayer. Like, like it seems like Notre Dame's offensive attack is always run the ball and then play action pass, find Michael Mayer. Stanford knew that's what the game plan of Notre Dame was. And Notre Dame didn't go to any other any other of their different wide receivers. Like what like, you know, we talked about a week ago where we where we talked about, you know, Logan Diggs, Lorenzo Styles. You know, Brandon Lindsay, Jaden Thomas, who had who had his first career touchdown pass. He basically caught the ball off a dude's back. And we looked at that and said, 
you know, Notre Dame's starting to find themselves. Notre Dame's starting to find their rhythm, only to find themselves going three steps back, losing to a Stanford team that, again, as I mentioned, they were one of the worst teams in football on an 11-game losing streak against FBS opponents. And not only that, Stanford's defense came into this game ranked 111th in scoring defense, giving up 32.6 points a game. That's embarrassing. To lose to that team with a 111th ranked pass or scoring defense, a defense that's been giving up points to basically everybody, a team that blew a two-touchdown lead against Oregon State a week ago, and you can't even score more than 14 points against them? That is pathetic. That is an absolute pathetic performance by Notre Dame, and they should be embarrassed. I mean, Marcus Freeman, like, it's it's not looking good for you, bud. Like, you're, you're three and three, and you lost to a Marshall team that isn't quite that good, and you lost to a Stanford team that was on an 11-game losing streak against FBS opponents. That is horrible, especially against a defense that was giving up 32.6 points per game, and you couldn't even score 14 points against them. That is pathetic. That is pathetic. They only had the really the only good pass that they had was the 41-yard touchdown pass to Tobias Merriweather. He got his first career touchdown. I know a lot of um, buzz has been around Merriweather. Why hasn't he been on the field? He's making all these great plays in practice, but why isn't he getting on the field? Well, he, he probably should be getting a lot more opportunities, but as I might have mentioned, the problem with Notre Dame's offense is they, they basically try and they're too much Michael Mayer base. Like, they need to try and go to other options. Like, where's Jaden Thomas? Where's Tobias Merriweather? You look at the box score from some, from some of these Notre Dame wide receivers. Michael Mayer had five catches for 60 yards. He was the leading wide receiver. How about everybody else? Nobody else had more than two catches. Tobias Merriweather was the next closest one. He got the 41 yards, and that was on his one touchdown. You had Audrick Esman, who had one catch for 10 yards. Brandon Lindsley, two catches for 12 yards. Lorenzo Styles, two catches for 15 yards. Like, that's not going to get it done. That's not going to get it done. And quite frankly, neither is having, having only 150 yards, Pat, only 150 yards rushing. You only had 151 yards passing. You know, Drew Pine couldn't even complete more than half of his passes. He was horrible. He was very inconsistent. And at the end, it cost Notre Dame this game. And, you know, now, quite frankly, now Notre Dame, we looked at, you know, I know me and Jared talked about what the ceiling for this Notre Dame team is. We said at least 10 and two. I mean, now, now it looks like seven and five is staring Notre Dame right in the face. You look at the next half of their schedule. They're playing UNLV coming to Notre Dame. And then they go to Syracuse and then Clemson comes here. Those are the next three games for Notre Dame. They're facing two teams that are ranked. You're facing two ranked opponents. Syracuse, who doesn't lose in the Carrier Dome. They've been a very tough play. That's been a very tough place to play for opponents this year. Syracuse has been really good. And Clemson. I mean, Clemson looks like they're about as back as they've ever been. And it's unfortunate because Notre Dame looks like they've just taken three steps back. Like it's it's frustrating. This is a very frustrating season for all of our teams because, you know, we we knew one, we knew what the Bears were going to be this year. And then Notre Dame just basically just took, Notre Dame and the White Sox basically took those expectations and just shit all over themselves because that's just what they do. 
and and now the White Sox. I got I got mad again at them for um, not signing Manny Machado. You know, I I just find it or Bryce Harper. I mean, you look. Both of their teams are going to the NLCS. They're going to be competing for a spot in the World Series. It would be nice to see them in White Sox pinstripes. I know some people would disagree, saying, oh, they're too much money. They're too much money. Oh, it's too much money for Bryce Harper. It's too much money for Manny Machado. Sure, if you want to be Jerry Reinsdorf's mouthpiece, you can say that. But when I tell you who they replaced them with and the money that they spent on, like the money for Bryce Harper, you know they spent $28 million this year on A.J. Pollock, Larry Garcia, Joe Kelly, and there's one more player that I'm forgetting, but what did all three of those players do this year? They fucking sucked. Oh, but yeah, let's, oh, oh you're going to hide the shock of my eyes. I, I went across a, a, Reddit, a, Reddit, a Reddit thread about White Sox rumors. I'm going to pull it up for you. I'm just going to list you some of the things that caught my eye when I was reading this last night, and it just... It made me mad at them again. Like, it's it's just, I don't have any news on their managerial search. For as far as I know, they're going to interview. As I mentioned, they're going to they interviewed Joe Espada this past week. They're probably going to interview Pedro Griffel, who is the bench coach of the Kansas City Royals. I'd probably stay away from that. Ron Washington, I, I think that they're going to give him an interview, seeing as how the Braves season is over. Uh, Mike Quantrero has not been invited to an interview, and neither has anybody else. All right, so now I have the insider reports. So this is just a Reddit stream. Now, there's kind of bear with me. There's 21 of these. So now here's here are the lists. Let's start with number one. Number one on the White Sox Reddit rumor mill is this. Oscar Colas, who is the number two prospect in the White Sox farm system, will probably be the team's starting right fielder going in the next year. I actually would be shocked if they went out and tried to get somebody else outside of the organization. But Oscar Colas blocked any signing for a right fielder in the previous offseason. Club thought he would be ready in 2023 and didn't want to pay anybody. Okay. Disagree with that because you're basically you're basically doing the same thing that you did during this rebuild. You're basically buying in the, the fact that, oh, these guys are going to be sure things. These prospects are going to be sure things. Prospects are never sure things. Just look at Yoan Mankata. So that's just dumb. That's just dumb. They're like, oh, well, we have this guy. We don't need We don't need to go sign another right fielder. We don't need to sign another outfielder. We don't need, we don't need Michael Conforto. We don't need Nick Castellanos, who is going to be playing in the NLCS. We don't need Kyle Schwarber, who is a left-handed bat and hit 46 home runs on the past season. We don't need those guys. We have Oscar Colas. Typical White Sox stuff. Number two. TLR answered to nobody but Jerry. Every time there was an issue, he went straight to Jerry, and Jerry either told a player to shut up or they would be traded or threatened a firing on a staff member. Uh, this this makes this, That's no surprise. TLR was basically like, why am I going to talk to Rick Hahn? Rick Hahn doesn't know how to do his job. Kenny Williams, yeah, he won a World Series, but, I mean, I'm a, base, I'm a Hall of Fame baseball manager. I'm a Hall of Fame baseball man. That's me, Tony La Russa. And then you have geriatric cheap fuck Jerry Reinsdorf basically telling guy, yeah, you're going to be traded, but I won't give a guy 300 mil because I don't care about winning. All I care about is saving a couple bucks in my pocket, you cheap fuck. Number three, the Kimbrel trade was entirely Kenny Williams. 
which I find interesting. Kenny Williams wanted Craig Kimbrell, which is funny because this leads me to number four. So if Kenny Williams is the one who was responsible for the Craig Kimbrell trade, then what does Rick Hahn do? At this point, is, is Rick Hahn making decisions with the White Sox or is it Kenny Williams still? Like, why, like how is this? It's all, it was entirely Kenny Williams. Let's go to number four. Rick Hahn, speaking of which, has wanted to quit for some time and will probably resign in the offseason. He is extremely upset that he cannot run the team the way he wants and cannot spend the way he wants. He was against the Krimble trade and was apparently overrode by Kenny when he's the GM. So this is where the White Sox, the way the White Sox operate as an organization is now starting to be put on national display of this really is a joke. And now now it's becoming the fact of who's accountable for this? Who is accountable for this season if Rick Hahn wants to walk away because he can't do what he wants, which, quite frankly, I don't blame him. Because he got his whole managerial search hijacked in 2020 because Jerry Reinsdorf said, oh, yeah, you have to hire Tony La Russa. It's no questions asked. I thought Rick Hahn would have quit after that because that's when I would have. Because you're basically telling me that no matter what I do, I am not in control of the team, even though I have the title of the GM. So why is Rick Hahn the title of the GM if Kenny Williams is the one overriding these decisions? That basically means Kenny Williams is still the GM of the White Sox. It's not Rick Hahn. They're basically just putting Rick Hahn out there. They're basically putting Rick Hahn out there to be the guy that, that takes all the bullets, to basically, be, to basically be the guy who's like, hey, you know, it's, it's my fault that this happened, even though I didn't want Craig Kimbrell, even though I can't hire the manager I want. I don't want to sign the guys that I want. It's just absolutely sickening. It is sickening to me that the White Sox operate like this. That they, Like, do they even care about winning? Do you guys care about winning? Like, sure, you can say that, but if you cared about winning, you would have done number five. They offered Bryce Harper $150 million for 11 years straight up with roughly $80 million in incentive. Harper was also interested in playing here not as much as Machado. The real offer for Machado was eight years, $190 million, worth roughly $150 million. Incentives, playing bonuses. And here, I'm gonna get I'm gonna give you guys the worst part because Manny Machado ended up going and signing with the Padres. And now the Padres are now gonna be playing for a spot in the World Series. Their one series went away from playing in the World Series. The real offer for Machado, the worst part was that Machado wanted to play here he wanted to play with the white Sox. he wanted to be here he wanted to be here and they wouldn't fucking pay him the holdup with machado was him trying to negotiate with the Sox to sign here the padres had their offer on the table for longer and he didn't sign it to see it if it would work out here actually let me see he didn't sign it to see if it would work out here i don't know Rick Hahn apparently actually does unironically spend hours a day reading fan emails and mail. Seems like a waste of time when he should be working on the team, but whatever. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I agree with that. You know, Rick Hahn, don't be worried about what the fans think. Even though you are doing a terrible job at the roster construction, even though now it's kind of coming into question of like, how much say does he really even have? Is he, or is he just the guy that goes out to the media, answers the questions because Jerry Reinsdorf and Kenny Williams don't want to hold themselves accountable for the shitty decisions that they have made over the past two decades 
running this team. I mean, Jerry Reinsdorf has owned the White Sox for 42 years, seven playoff appearances. He should be counting his blessings every day that Michael Jordan dropped in his fucking lap when he bought the Bulls. Because if that never happened, he would be in the conversation as the worst owner in all of sports. He is the, I mean, he's easily the worst baseball owner. I mean, look what, when you look at his track record, you will say, wow, how is this guy not out of power? How has this guy, like, honestly, I wish he'd never won the World Series so that we could hold his head to the fire more. And then he probably would spend more money to try and win a World Series champion. Geriatric fuck Jerry Reinsdorf. Okay, let's continue on because I'm having so much fun doing this. Contrary to number one, the team really wants to sign Michael Conforto. So they're contradicting each other. So do they, do they like Oscar Colas? Because apparently they liked Oscar Colas so much, they didn't sign a right fielder for the 2022 season, knowing he'll be ready for the 2023 season. So how does that make sense? How does any of that logic make sense? How does that make sense? This organization's dumb. It's a dumb organization that lets these dumb geriatric fucks like Jerry Reinsdorf making day-to-day operation decisions when they should have no say in the day-to-day operation. They should have no say in no, in no roster operating move. The thing that drives me the most nuts about Jerry Reinsdorf is he let that other fuck, Jerry Krause, convince him to break up the greatest dynasty in the history of basketball because, oh, hey, these guys are getting old. Like, what? You basically went six years of being the worst team in basketball right after that. And yet Rick Hahn can't convince him to spend 300 mil on Manny Machado. That is embarrassing. Rick Hahn, Jerry Reinsdorf should just be put in jail for negligence of his baseball team because that's just what he does with these organizations. He doesn't fire guys. He doesn't hold anybody accountable. And then you look at the end of the mirror, they're not making the playoffs because they don't do any organizational changes. They keep everything the same. And that is the problem with this organization. They need more people involved. You know, Kenny Williams made the, made the famous quote where he said, you, know, you better stay out of White Sox business. Well, they need more people involved in their business to help them get their fucking shit on track. Let's continue on. This one has more to do with the roster. The click leak was apparently from Dallas. The shocking part is that apparently what he said was true. The most offensive is the Cuban players constantly backing each other and constantly shit-talking others that don't perform. Dallas is apparently the one that got it the hardest. Makes sense with his comments. So basically the Cuban players just, they, they saw the writing on the wall just like we did. We, we knew. We knew Dallas Keuchel was cooked. We knew he was the wor- one of the worst pitchers in baseball and had been stealing money from the White Sox. I mean, he got paid $18 million in 2021, and he basically wasn't even on the postseason roster and got cut at the middle of the season. And it's the reason why, probably one of the biggest reasons why, Carlos Rodon is not with the White Sox. But yeah, sure, a click thing. Fuck you, Dallas Keuchel. You're a fucking bum. I hope you enjoy the rest of your life never pitching another fucking game again and nobody forget- nobody remembers your fucking pathetic career. Oh, my God. This has just been so much fun. <laughs> oh, my God. This is just giving me, giving, giving guys many, plenty of memories from what happened in the past season. All right. Let's get to the next one. All right. Number 10. This is the number 10 of the White Sox Reddit rumors. T.A.'s baby mama situation was paid off under the rug, apparently. Um, apparently it was. I mean, this was something that 
there was kind of rumblings online during the season that Tim Anderson had another baby mama. He cheated on his wife, Bria. Obviously these are, this is all speculation. I don't really, I don't really know. There hasn't really been a whole lot, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to put too much. I'm not going to talk about this too much. You know, not really about a situation. We don't really know about that really has nothing to do with baseball, but you might wonder if that had something to do with his play on the field. I don't know. All right, number 11, they're going to offer Jose Abreu a one-year deal worth between 15 and $20 million. Good, good. I, I hope you plan on bringing Jose Abreu back. There was, and speaking of Jose Abreu, before we get back to the rumors, there was this that was circling around on Saturday that the Cubs are actually more interested in signing Jose Abreu than the White Sox are. And all I'm going to say right now, and this is all I'm going to say, if Jose Abreu signs with the, signs with the Cubs, there's going to be a major revolt from this fan base. Fans are going to be pissed. I'm going to be pissed because how are you going to let your MVP player walk to the north side because you didn't want to pay him money? Oh, my God. Don't do it, Jose Brady. Don't go to the dark side. I would much rather see him go join the Houston Astros and have them fix him than playing in those fucking hideous Chicago Cubs blue collars. I just I don't I don't have a problem with the Cubs, but I don't want to see Jose Abreu going to the Cubs. That's all I'm saying. All right, this is a this is a uh, in season one. This was the White Sox offer for Shohei Otani apparently, because remember there was the report we mentioned earlier that the White Sox were involved in trying to trade for Shohei Otani, and it actually is kind of a good thing that they didn't because here was the trade for Shohei Otani. The Sox offer for Otani was don't cease. Michael Kopech, Aloy Jimenez, and Andrew Vaughn. That's that's also not it. The Angels also asked for all that plus Oscar Colas, Colson Montgomery, and Rowdy Reed. Oh, I don't know. I don't know who Rowdy Reed is. The Sox said no. So one of the few times that the White Sox front office actually might have done something smart because you're basically gutting half of your team, half of your young core, and you're basically just going into next season with Jose Abreu and Gavin Sheets. So. I'm glad that they didn't do this trade. All right. I'm glad they didn't do this trade, but this leads us to number 13. The Sox view nobody, including Cease, as untouchable. So I guess that's a good thing. I mean, if you really want to make this team better, if you really want to fix the roster construction, you really have to open up the valves and say, these guys, everybody is available. You have to at least fix the roster construction if you want this to get better and not be a mediocre team going into the season, but giving giving up Dylan Cease after the year that he had will probably give you a lot in return and will probably help the team the most, but I don't think that they should. I don't think that they should do that. Rumbling's in the front office about signing Brandon Nemo. I wouldn't mind that at all. I, I think he would be an ideal fit going into right field. I mean, we, we will obviously have a podcast talking about the White Sox offseason plans. That'll be one that'll be coming out Soon, not sure, but all right. So back to the managers. Jerry Reinsdorf has no interest in hiring Joe Espada. That probably has more to do with the Houston Astros situation. And that explains why the White Sox are a poorly ran organization because Jerry Reinsdorf, basically, if he doesn't want to do something, they don't do it. Like Joe Espada would be a perfect fit for the manager. He comes from a winning organization of a winning team, the Houston Astros, who have been the best Probably one of the best teams of the American League when you look at the last seven years. Last seven years? 
And plus, Joe Espada has experience with the Yankees, who also know a thing or two about winning, something that the White Sox organization hardly knows anything about. They only know how to win the one season, and then they don't get back there for at least five-plus years. So I think I think Jerry Reinsler is making a mistake. I think he's just being a geriatric fuck, just meddling involved in decisions when it was reported that he wasn't going to be involved in this managerial decision. Well, this sounds like that he's involved, apparently. Uh, here it comes. Here comes the other one. The team isn't going to change all that much a lot this offseason. They don't view many holes being fixable besides right field. And that, and that's where they put themselves in the spot where next year could probably be another um, mediocre season, hopefully. Rodon was not offered a qualifying offer by the front office because they wanted to do him right. Han was not happy about it. Yeah, I don't blame him because nobody in this fan base was happy when they just let Carlos Rodon walk away for nothing. You, you're telling me that this team... Couldn't have needed Carlos Rodon, who was their best pitcher last year and only ran out of gas because he hadn't pitched that many innings in, in what, five years? So, and how, many, how many games did Carlos Rodon miss this year? None. He didn't miss any starts this year. Fucking idiotic. Idiotic White Sox front office. Menachino is apparently the only coach that is potentially going to be removed fired. They looked at Joe McEwing and Daryl Boston and probably aren't replacing them. They're considering bringing up the AAA coach. Why, why are we doing this? That's what they did with Frank Menachino. They basically called up Frank Menachino after the 2019 season. They said, Todd Steverson, this isn't doing it for us. You're, you're, going up, you're going up to the front office to do an advisor role. We're bringing in Frank Menachino. Now they're going to fire Frank Menachino and basically bring up the AAA hitting coach. Tell me, how is that going to fix this team's offensive issues? How is that going to fix this team's inability to hit a baseball on a consistent day-in and day-out basis? Tell me. That's just dumb. Not even trying to do their due diligence. Not even letting the new manager bring in their their own hitting coach. They're like, well, you have you have to be stuck with this guy. What manager is going to want to come here if the front office is basically going to tell them, oh, we're just going to call up the hitting coach? You're not you don't have you're not going to hire anybody on your staff. That is fucking dumb. The training staff is apparently going to be entirely canned again. This time, everyone means everyone. Jerry has reached out to Herm to try and get him to unretire. Ugh, I, I believe that one. I mean, Herb Schneider, that's what I'm saying. Herb Schneider, nobody got hurt whenever Herm Schneider was the training staff when he was the head trainer for the White Sox. Nobody got hurt. And if somebody got hurt, they were out for the entire season. So I don't necessarily blame them. They're like, hey, Herm, come, come on back. We need to fix these injuries. And they have been talking with Benetti since the All-Star break to try to get him to continue to cast White Sox games. So it sounds like Benetti's starting to get He's starting to get up there. He's, his recognition, his brand is starting to get bigger. You know, he's calling games for Fox. And, I mean, quite frankly, the White Sox are in a position where Benetti's been so good on the broadcast that they, they're trying to convince him to stay, even though the broadcast team has just been basically lambasting this team for things that they just do wrong. I mean, Steve Stone's been basically doing it since May. Just everything that's, that this team does wrong, he just has just been lambasting them. And I don't blame him. I mean, they, quite frankly, deserve all right, so that that was the White Sox Reddit rumors. I mean, I gave you my thoughts. Stuff drove me nuts. So now I'm going to transition into a little bit of the baseball playoffs. So I mentioned earlier. I mentioned on the show on I think it was Tuesday. It was the day. It was the day the Mariners were beating the Astros. Well, <laughs> apparently I jinxed the Mariners because right after that they gave up a walk off three run homer, and I told my dad I was like, you know the. 
the Mariners are not winning another game this entire series, and they basically didn't. I mean, their their game three, which was played yesterday, they played 18 innings, scored no runs. So they basically played a whole two games and scored no runs and lost the game one nothing. They got swept by the Astros, so it looks like the Astros are so the Astros are going to be in the ALCS for I think this is what their fourth fifth year in a row. I mean. They've gone to the ALCS every year since 2017. I mean, the Astros have just been a wagon. I mean, what do you expect? I mean, the White Sox ran into that wagon a year ago when they basically ended their 2021 season, and it was why I felt like they blew an opportunity to at least make some noise in the playoffs. And now, I mean, you look at the Guardians, I mean, on the AL side. I mean, they're one win away from going to the ALCS. I mean, they would have won more playoff series than the White Sox had playoff victories. I mean, it's absolutely pathetic. I mean, this is something that was pissing me off and got me mad at the White Sox because that could have been us. That could have been the White Sox if they would have just decided to go on a run. Well, I can't say they would have decided to go on a run, but if they would have decided to not play lackadaisical, going through the motions every single game, then this could probably be them. This could be them in the ALCS going to take out the Yankees. But instead, it's probably going to be the Guardians. Good job, Yankees. You're fucking bums. Overrated bums the evil empire's dead but on the national league side you had the two teams the top two seeds are gone dodgers braves gone after four games i mean the phillies just laid the whooping on them in games three and four in philadelphia like they these games weren't even close like the phillies won eight to three and i believe nine to one they outscored the braves 17 to four in games three and four they completely dominated this series against the Atlanta Braves and the Phillies will be moving on to the NLCS where they'll be facing the Padres. And I guess the Padres listen to me lambast. I'm saying, you know, they pay all this money. They trade all these prospects just to lose to the Dodgers. Well, they finally beat the Dodgers. They got past the Dodgers. They beat them in four games and won those games five to three, two to one and five to three. And the game yesterday, they were trailing three to nothing and took a five-run rally in the seventh inning to seal the victory to take out the Dodgers. I actually kind of like this. You know, you know, the Dodgers and the Braves both choked, and we're looking at the Yankees who have the potential of being a choke artist. So, but with the new format of the wild card series and the two te- and the top two seeds having buys, it's really going to show. It really shows that maybe those bye weeks are going to affect those teams because they're the the rest versus rust debate. Apparently, you'll want to be still in baseball shape and not have the week off, or you'll end up getting eliminated from the playoffs. I mean, we we look at it, three out of the four top seeds are in fear of losing the series in four games. And it's like, and it's not even like competitive series. It's like these series are just done. Like the Phillies just played the like the smackdown on the Braves. Like that series wasn't even close at all. But I mean, it's I kind of like the the new format, but now. You know, because it was a debate of, you know, do you want those top two seeds? Do you want to play in the wild card round? And it was something that has been talked about all year. But now, I mean, as we look at how these series have been playing out, it's becoming more and more obvious that the top two seeds that are coming off of a bye, you might not want to be coming off a bye going into the season. All right. So that's all I got for you guys. This is the Feeling Soxy podcast. This is uh, all I got for you. I was going to. Give you a little bit of White Sox news. We'll be back later in the week. Do a preview of the Bears Monday night game. Probably and give you a preview of Notre Dame's next game against UNLV. If we have some White Sox news or any rumors to report, we will. 
But thank you for listening to the Feeling Soxy podcast. Hit subscribe and like at the bottom. I'm Clint Klaus. Thank you.